Hello, and welcome to the DeathCast. I'm your host, best-selling author Ian Tott, and I'd like to thank you for joining me for this special episode of the DeathCast, where this week we are going to be joined by author Mark Miller. Before we get to the interview with Mark, however, I have the normal plugs and show notes. If you would like to follow me on social media, just search for Ian Totten, author, Corpse Creek Publishing, or The Deathcast on all social media platforms. Click the follow button and you can find out what's going on in my world. If you would like to sign up for my mailing list, you can just go to CorpseCreekPublishing.com, click on the sign up button. If you are interested in helping to support the show, there's a couple ways you can do that. The first is at CorpseCreekPublishing.com. You can click on the donate button, buy me a pack of smokes or a cup of coffee. You can also go to tinyurl.com backslash DC Patreon. The first Patreon-only episode is up on that feed, and there will be more coming in the next few weeks. For as little as $2 a month, you can get exclusive content at tinyurl.com backslash DC Patreon. Last, certainly not least, you can go to wherever it is that you find your podcasts, click on the subscribe button, and while you're there, leave a five-star review. Alright, now that all of that is out of the way, let's go to our interview with Mark Miller. Author Mark Miller, who's just released his book, The Two-Headed Lady at the End of the World, our romance hotter than a thousand suns. Mark, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show. Um, mutual Facebook friend connected us. Tell us, who is Mark Miller? Uh, Mark Miller is a librarian in Chicago who moved here from a small town and uh, embraces the absurd whenever possible. Very good one. <laughs> By absurd, I assume you mean like Monty Python, that type of stuff? Oh, man, Monty Python was a lifesaver. First found them when I was... Uh, 12 years old and uh, had to stick a coat hanger behind my TV set to get it back in the day. And uh, it was worth it. It totally saved my life. I, I understand. I, I found them around that same time, my best friend and I. They were uh, our kind of humor. <laughs> right. So now is the the book, The Two-Headed Lady at the End of the World, A Romance Hotter Than a Thousand Suns? Is this your first novel? No. I uh, Okay, so... Uh, I, uh, the, the first novel was The Librarian at the End of the World. I'm uh, doing a trilogy. They're not uh, sequential, but they're kind of set in the same universe. Uh, but The Librarian at the End of the World was published by Montag Press back in 2019. And this book is, is not out yet, but Montag is also publishing it. And that's going to be, I, I believe, December 2nd or December 12th of this year. So okay. in time for Christmas, if you have weird friends or relatives. Yes. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, this current book, The Two-Headed Lady at the End of the World? Okay, so it's a romance novel. Uh, okay, so I, I thought, you know, I, I've never read a romance novel about conjoined twins before. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I thought I was, you know, the perfect person to, to bring it. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's a romance novel uh, that satirizes romance novels that, uh, you know, kind of upends it. It's, you know... 
I would classify it as a slipstream novel because it's got elements of spy thriller, of you know, of, of political espionage, of uh, of mystery, also of romance. Uh, but it's also deeply absurd and rooted in some of the uh, fallacies that have, we've been living our lives with uh, since the 80s. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's these uh, these conjoined twins and the men who love them and two men who are trapped in this underground military bunker with basically an endless supply of food who've been mostly or actually completely forgotten about above ground and a, uh, uh, who have to come to terms with their feelings for one another. And a uh, sentient CPU who's in charge of America's missile defense system that uh, falls in love with a fax machine at the Pentagon. Uh, it's it's made, putting me in mind a little bit of like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> um, oh, oh uh, well, that's that's um, I'm honored by by comparison. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how it does. It's uh, I mean I I mean that was. A, you know, one of those things like Monty Python that I found when I was a kid that just opened the world up to me. So, uh, so yeah, Douglas Adams is is is, is uh, you know a hero of mine, obviously. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so yeah, same kind of stuff. I've I've been compared to uh, to, and I, it seems embarrassing for me to say these things because I'm not making it up. I promise. But I, reviewers have compared me to Joseph Heller. And Kurt Vonnegut and Thomas Pynchon and you know other people who are like delving into you know absurd slipstream things. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm a I'm a writer as well. I've been compared to a couple authors by readers of mine. Um, it's a humbling experience, right? And it's like, I don't believe it, but I'm not going to keep you from saying it. So you go ahead with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, you know, all press is good press. But at the same time, you don't want to come across as a, you know, a big arrogant jerk or anything. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like, no, man, keep that on the down low. <laughs> now, yeah. I'm really proud of this book, but shh, don't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it's, it's really weird, the kind of author imposter thing, we uh, imposter syndrome we, we go through, right? Because, yeah. You know, uh, I also write poetry, and I, I've published in some nice, you know, really great journals and had a couple of books out. And it's just like, okay, so when do I get to consider myself a real poet as opposed to someone who just, you know, scribbles poetry? Uh, as my mentor, Warren Murphy, once told me, you're a real writer when you get that first cat check in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, my mentors were, were, were less forgiving. Uh, okay, this, this is what I lived with, uh, was, okay, you're a writer when you are putting the finishing touches on a piece of work that will later be published. Mm -hmm. After you're done, you're not a writer anymore, not until you write something else. Yeah, see, Warren was, uh, he, he was cut from a different cloth. He yeah, that's, that's a real hardcore way to live your life. Yeah. And not know. one that I recommend. I don't know if you ever saw the Iger Sanction. No, I didn't. Or uh, the Lethal Weapon films. Oh, yeah. That was all Warren. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, the, the Destroyer series that came out in the 80s. Okay. Um, they made a movie of it, Remo Williams. That was his stuff, the satire. Okay. So, different, different kind of cat, different... You know, I've I've run across all kinds in the literary world. Yeah. So, now you were saying before we went live, you uh, you've got a blurb or something to read about the, from the book. 
Oh yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll read a I'll, I'll read a, a chapter of the book if you if you if you would indulge me. Certainly. Okay, so I'll set this up. Um, so uh, the two twins are Amanda and Miranda Morgan, and uh, Miranda programs you know programs computers as a web coder, and uh, Amanda uh, is an antiques dealer, and uh, they're conjoined, and they found that they're most productive when they sleep in shifts. So. Uh, one of them will be at work and the other will be asleep. The other, you know, will go to sleep and the or one will go to sleep and the other will go to work. Mm -hmm. But uh, so uh, Amanda's had a disturbing encounter with uh, the arch villain of the book, a man named Simeon, and uh, I'll take it from there. All right. By lunch, Amanda was pacing the warehouse floor, thinking about her date with Hunter. As much as she wanted to maintain her facade of cool control, she was nervous. Still, as far as her employees knew, she was calm as ever. Being a constant outsider had taught her to keep her cards close to her vest. She plowed through work, trying to distract herself. She met with the owner of a Rolls-Royce dealership who wanted statuary that would give, quote, an appropriately stately air to the showroom, end quote. She handed him a few Polaroids of a collection of early 20th century marble pieces going on the auction block next week, and he was ecstatic. To kill time, she decided to contact the U.S. government. Amanda had been on hold for almost 20 minutes before a U.S. Customs agent clicked through. David Barstow, U.S. Customs, how can I help you? He sounded tired, but professional. Greetings, Mr. Barstow. My name is Amanda Morgan, and I own an antiqui antiquities import in Atlanta, Georgia. I just wanted to alert you to the fact that we have received a shipment of 12 Yugos that were supposed to be statues. Uh-huh. I believe this is a matter of real concern. Yugos, you say, said Barstow. Amanda leaned forward in her chair and tried to project the importance of the moment in her voice. You goes. You goes. Amanda breathed an, breathed an exasperated sigh. I know there's something going on. Hey, I remember that song, said Barstow. No, there's something nefarious going on involving you goes, said Barstow. Gotcha. I don't feel that you're taking this seriously. You know what I'm serious about? Our budget has been cut. I haven't had a vacation in years, and even if I could take one, I couldn't afford it because the median income hadn't kept up with inflation since Nixon. How about that for nefariousness? Is that even a fucking word? Should be if it isn't. Look, I'm sorry about your budget and lack of vacations, but what about the Yugos? Try not to hit them from behind. Those are the ones that exploded, right? No, that was Pintos. Oh, yeah, Pintos. What a time to be alive the 80s were. I was poor but happy. God bless America. So you will look into it? Oh, yeah, sure. Should have some time come October. We'll get right on it. Amanda hung up. Well, that was 22 minutes down. It was like that for the rest of the afternoon. Amanda tried to challenge herself to fill her thoughts with auction catalogs, material facts, and cultural themes uh, that would cut off the giggling, bouncing feeling that kept trying to bubble up inside her, despite her best efforts to tamp it down. It's just a date. You hate dates. He will only disappoint you. Nevertheless, she was excited, and the minutes ticked by slowly. The problem was that everything was going uh, too well. Between orders and meetings, she had long stretches of downtime when she found herself pacing, watching the clock, and surfing 80s commercials on YouTube. Where's the beef? At 6.30, Alan poked his head through the door. I'm about to leave. Everyone else is gone. Would you like me to stay and help you with anything? No, thanks, Alan. Amanda smiled back at him. I'm just about finished. Okay, see you tomorrow then. Good night. Amanda leaned back in her chair and listened as Alan locked the front door behind him. 
There was silence for a moment, but as she sat there, her ears adjusted to the quiet, and she could pick out the noises of her building as it settled in for the night. She often sat there in the evenings and just listened to the old building. Sometimes Amanda would take off her shoes and pad through the dark, uh, through the place in the dark, feeling the cold marble floors under her feet, running her hand along the walls. Now she just listened as the air conditioning unit, unit rumbled away on the roof. She thought about Simeon. She had met enough people in her life to know that he was dangerous and to know that he wanted her to know it. What was he hiding? Probably something stolen. But if it was just gold, why be so secretive? It must be something easily identifiable, something like Fabergé eggs, only bigger and heavier. Amanda wondered if she could call customs again, but what would she tell Barstow to change his mind? It isn't a crime to ship heavy objects in cardboard. And when she thought about it, it did seem rather a stretch that the world's worst car was a threat to national security. Her mind turned again to the contents of the small package. Maybe it was his father's ashes and some kind of lead urn. Maybe it was something that embarrassed him, a solid gold dildo. She laughed and wondered where that particular thought had come from. Alone in the warehouse, Amanda remembered the romance novel she had read when she was 12, brimming with the forbidden and mysterious world of adulthood. She had stolen furtive reeds of filth and decadence and wondered what impact it had on her adult sexual identity, the Danielle Steels, the Bolt Westerns, the Flame and the Flowers, and all the other smut she had secretly devoured in the back of the mall bookstore, hoping no one would find out. Not because she was too young for it, but because she didn't want anyone to know she was interested. She thought, the, she thought of the way Simeon had towered over her, his eyes stabbing into her like cold knives. That is how they would have described it, and far from being aroused, she shivered. He was a powerful man and dangerous, the kind of man people who wrote romance novels apparently thought women would want, but no. He hadn't touched her, but Amanda could feel, his, uh, feel what his hands could have done to her. She felt the force of his hands push her against the wall and hold her there. She saw his dark blue eyes, his strong face. As he bent to kiss her, he trapped her mouth with his own and tore her blouse away with one hand, and she submitted. And then she shouted, Yuck, no, time out, time out, time out. This doesn't happen ever unless it's in a totally consenting place where trust has already been established or it's just a fantasy about the security that would make that kind of play okay. But this, this is not okay. Simeon spoke with his deep voice and cold affect. No, this is going to be really hot and tap into a primal desire you didn't even realize you had because your sexual urges have been covered up and shamed by a puritanical society. So you won't fight. Just let yourself surrender to my strength as my large, powerful hands roam your body. Amanda backed away from him aghast. Seriously, have you never had a girlfriend or like any kind of intimate female relationship with him you could discuss the intricacies of internal life and fantasies so that you would know the so-called rape fantasies are actually misinterpreted seduction fantasies you didn't know that hold on miranda has a lot more experience than i have sis wake up what amanda estimate miranda what time is it amanda said okay so you remember simeon right ah oh, yuck Miranda said, oh, my God, why is he here? Get a gun. Right, said Simeon, but you don't have a gun. You're defenseless, and I'm so big and powerful that you find yourself aroused by my, ugh, no, said Miranda. Your neck is like Dave Latner's, our high school nemesis. Oh, my God, said Amanda. You're right. Gross. So gross, said Amanda. Uh, said Miranda. Undaunted, Simeon continued, I rip your blouse off, blouse off and your bra is pulled down to expose your nipples. They're hard. It's cold, said Amanda. It's cold in here. Yeah, we're right under the air conditioner here, said Miranda. Bodies are just got a body, you know? But you're equally aroused. No, we're not. For one, this is violent and scary. And two, I love this shirt. And you just ripped it. This was like 60 bucks, asshole. 120. Miranda covered her mouth and looked down to the floor, fearing Amanda's reaction. My God, why did you spend that much money on one shirt? I mean, you like it, don't you? Yeah, but that's so much money for one shirt. 
but it's so soft and I love this color and I got a bonus at work. Okay, fine. I love it too. And then she turned back to Simeon. So yeah, double fuck you. She worked her ass off for this shirt. With one arm around their waist, Simeon picked them up and they wrapped their legs around his hips, grinding themselves into him. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I do fucking not. I do not wrap my legs around him. I do not consent. I'm not an active participant in this shit at all. And you know that is exactly what his attorney is going to try to say. Yeah, we kick and claw and fight and scream. Miranda glared at him and redded her claws. I go for the eyes, said Amanda. Knees, nose, nuts, said Miranda. You feel the passion building inside you, said Simeon. Yeah, I'm passionately hating you right now. I'm Definitely going to fall in love with a rapist because he's so strong and meaty, said Amanda. Hope I get pregnant with his son, said Miranda. Oh, gross, really? Yeah, I've read that in a few books. Well, it will look beautiful breastfeeding his son. Yeah, and I will have realized my true purpose was to submit to his beefy neck. Ugh, mumbled Amanda, and overcome by visceral horror, she vomited. Amanda broke herself out of her fantasy, which was not actually hers, but someone else's, who, having had a very limited and protected life experience, had decided to write it down, in which, inexplicably, publishers had decided to turn into a series of romance tropes that would be repeated ad nauseum and misinform a whole generation of kids wandering bored in shopping malls and stopping in the Walden's books to read clandestine smut. She glanced at the clock. It was almost seven. She calmed herself, brushed her teeth at her office sink, and went downstairs to meet Hunter. Amanda was glad that none of that had actually happened. Miranda was still asleep. She had not just vomited, and her shirt was clean, pressed, and so, so soft. It really was a great color on them. Right, so there we have a excerpt from The Two-Headed Lady at the End of the World, a romance hotter than by Mike Miller. Sounds like a fairly interesting story there, Mark. <laughs> well, thank you. It's, uh, I, I mean, uh, one of the things... Uh, when I got into the idea of writing a romance novel that was kind of a satire of a romance novel, I didn't want it to just, you know, be fish in a barrel making fun of things uh, and pointing out, hey, I don't like romance novels or whatever. Because, you know, I mean, it's it's a fine genre, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, there's a lot of good writing. Some of it is good as literary fiction even. Um, but I, I wanted to, you know, but I, I definitely, when I was reading and researching it, I ran into these really disturbing tropes that did not sit well with me at all. And some of them were just because they were from older books. But some of these things are still going on, mm-hmm. uh, where you have these really warped ideas about, you know, male-female relationships and how we're supposed to interact with one another and what's a turn-on and what's a turn-off and what's like, you know, you know, there's this blurred line that I think is, is very... Uh, uh, I, I guess the, that is uh, that is problematic in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's you find that in a lot of the older books. Um, I've known a couple romance writers, uh, some pretty big names, and I, I've talked to them, and a lot of them will tell you know they're dry, a lot of the stuff they're writing is for that bored housewife at home. Yeah. Uh, Sanders, I can understand that. Here's a, a question out of left field for you. How do you Uh-oh. find writing satire? How do I find difficult? it? Is it difficult? Do you find it easy? Uh, not really. Uh, okay, I mean, uh, for the last 30 years of my life, I've been trying to, I, I've been utterly baffled by the direction of the world. I mean, yeah. I really thought we were going to have fucking flying cars by now, you know? Yeah. 
And yep. <laughs> you know, when when I was a kid, I really thought if you know if 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 I if I studied hard in school and I went all the way through school and I tried my hardest, I'd get a great job, and you know, and 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 society would be always working toward betterment and improvement. And you know, I, I did all the things, and you know, I've got a good job right now, but it's like uh, society hasn't really held up its end of the bargain. I'm I'm waiting for you know, waiting us waiting for us to take care of one another. But some of the things that we get. I guess some of the, some of the political discussions we get into, and the kind of you know uh, contortions we have to do with our belief systems to you know support the politics of the day, or to not support the politics of the day, or to just make sense of people's positions, it, it, it's astounding it, mm -hmm. how crazy and warped everything has become, and uh, I really you know I, I you can't make this stuff up. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, the, the world, you know, the, the one thing I fear is that the world is becoming so fucking wackadoodle that eventually we're going to get to the point where we just cannot tell at all what we're supposed to take seriously and what is obviously satire. You know, like, it, it's like Poe's Law writ, you know, writ large. Mm-hmm. No, no, I I do agree with you that I actually I wrote my own satire novel that's supposed to be released sometime after the first of the year, and out, it's outside my uh, comfort zone as a writer, so to okay. speak. I was just curious. I you know I found it to be much more difficult than uh, my normal uh, writing. Yeah, I, I think the trick is. Uh, I mean, what I always aim for is plausibility. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I want you know I want things to be crazy and absurd and weird but also like yeah i could see that happening mm -hmm. you know you know and and that's that's kind of the sweet spot for for humor you know to uh, you know for for me yeah is, is this area where it's like not so crazy that you know you're just like uh no but you know i want to put people in weird situations and 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 show you know uh these normal reactions to strange situations you know yeah, I, I get what you I get what you mean. So I have some aspiring authors who listen to the show. So I have a couple, you know, stable questions that okay. I ask. Um, how how did you get into writing? Um. Okay. Well. Uh, so when I was uh, when I was twelve years old, uh, this nerdy kid moved in next door to me, and my first words to him were, "Hey, kid, got a bike?" And he said, "Yeah, but it's still on the truck." And uh, and 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 somehow from that, a, a fast friendship was was born. And he was much more introverted than I was, and and he always carried a little book around him and wrote in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm writing stories. I'm like, oh, cool. And so I read some of his stories. And I thought, oh, that's cool. I, I could do that. And so. He and I, from you know that age when I was eleven or twelve, started writing stories and swapping them back and forth, you know, and uh, and so that's uh, that's when I got into writing, and it just you know it, it kind of got its teeth in, and then I stuck with it, and then for many years all I wrote was poetry, mm -hmm. and it was just uh, you know uh, just a, a few years ago I decided that I wanted to uh, you know to 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 write absurdism. Uh, yes. Before that, I'd, I'd written some other things and, you know, what I'd considered like, you know, literary fiction or whatever. And uh, at the same time, my, my my childhood best friend was also writing. 
and uh, we weren't getting much traction. And about 20 years ago, he's like, hey, man, why don't we just get together and write a romance novel? Uh, just, want, you know, I've got a three-day weekend coming up. Let's write a romance novel and, you know, and, and cash in. And so we wrote this romance. And he, he came up in three days. We wrote, you know, a 60,000-word novel. And, uh, and then we never did anything with it. But we liked the characters. And it was originally about these, you know, these regular twins going back to their small town high school reunion and having to like decide whether they wanted to go back to their old loves or their new loves and their new lives. And, uh, and we never did anything with it. And so after I wrote the librarian, I'm like, well, you know, that was kind of like a sports biopic that I fucked up and made absurd. So what other genres could I do? Cause that was fun. I liked it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I'd always really liked these characters, Miranda and Amanda, and uh, and so I revised it and thought I could make this weird by making them conjoined twins because mm -hmm. that's not a romance novel I've heard of. And I could make it even better if they had opposing taste in men. And like each lovemaking session could be kind of a part critique session. Yes. You know, and, uh, you know, where one of them's like, oh, yeah, this is great. And the other's like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, um, and, it, it, you know, and, and so the more I wrote it, the more it became, you know, it, it became... You know, I wrote a few scenes like that. I'm like, well, yeah, that's really funny, but how can I, uh, how can I kick this up a notch? And so I, I just blew it up, and it became this epic thing that spans 50 years, and uh, and it became about, you know, so much more, you know, about time and and and, and memory and 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 the glo the glacial pace of societal change, and you know, and like the kind of things we pick up in the past and have to grow through and learn through, like, you know, like all the things that like the humor that was acceptable in the eighties just yeah. is shit now. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, if you've tried to go back and watch the first Ghostbusters, it's pretty cringy. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you've watched, you know, in the, like the, the meatballs movie just came on and I was watching it. And I remember when I was a little kid, I wanted to see it because it was like, Oh, that's what teenagers see. So it's going to be dirty and raunchy and funny. And, as I was watching it as a as an adult, I, I'm like, well, what kid would have thought this was funny? This this would have been funny to an audience that is not old enough to see it. Yeah. And you pick up these really ideas like, oh, if you like a girl, you just harass her until she likes you back, until she relents. You know, so I started playing with some of those, you know, some of those ideas that we we pick up that are really destructive. And harmful, and you know, and and talk about how, uh, you know, and figure out how we 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 can change those. Oh, yeah, it's it's. I was talking with someone earlier today, and I, we were talking about you know, the movies that came out in the eighties, and how, I mean, myself, I can't watch most of them anymore just because I pick them apart. <laughs> yeah. Now I'll watch like an old action movie, and it's just like, oh God, this is awful. Yeah. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it would. So we were specifically we were talking about American Ninja, and it was just like, okay, there was nothing in this movie that's even plausible or well written. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so a couple more questions, and then I I will let you go. What is your writing process? Um. Okay, so uh, this is the part where I tell everyone, don't do what I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I, I don't really have a writing process. Uh, 
Like I, I think about things and I take walks and then, then I sit down in front of a computer and I vomit a carnival on the page. And that's, I mean, I don't really have a process. I mean, I kind of, when I was revising this, you know, when I, when I, I got maybe 60,000 words into this book and I was like, okay, uh, now what, how do I, you know, how do I fix this? Because you know you build the tension, you have the arcs, and and everyone's going in the different directions, and, and eventually you got to okay, well how do I how do I land all this, mm -hmm. you know, and and so the thing I, I came up with was just like creating, you know, a word document where I just mapped out all the beats that had to happen until I got to the end, and then I linked those to separate word documents where I would write chapters and chapters and, cha you know, like a chapter at a time. And then after that, you've got like a list of chapters, then you can start putting the, putting them together and, you know, and, and, and putting in your, your transitions and stuff. But so I think that is going to be my process for the next one. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm going to, the next one is called the walrus at the end of the world. Okay. Yeah. It sounds uh, like you're doing a really detailed uh, outline for each chapter, basically. Uh, yeah, well, not so much for each chapter. I, 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 I don't do an outline for a chapter. I just like, okay, this plot point has to happen at some point, and yes. I really want this character to say this thing, and this has to echo back to that thing, and this thing has to tie to this thing. And so you just kind of map it out like that. And so I've got like, you know, like a list of things that have to happen. And then mm -hmm. once I get into the actual chapter it becomes a lot more freewheeling where I'm like, okay, well, how do, where do I fit this in and what's happening and what am I doing and, and how is it going to be funny? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so, uh, so I wouldn't say I have a, like a detailed chapter outline, but I, I do have a definite uh, list of notes I got to hit. Okay. Yeah. So it's bullet points. Right. Yeah. No, I've done that with a couple of mine. All right. Um, are you a? Do you read a lot? Um, yeah, I do. Uh, not as much as I, not as much as I I, I used to uh, mm -hmm. having kids and jobs and all that. Uh, so yes. yeah, I don't I don't get the opportunity to to read as much as I used to. Uh, although I I do love being able to sink into a book. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. It's not like it used to be, and if I'm writing, it's even worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, and and one of the things that like. When I when I was you know working on uh, on Two Headed Lady was just like whenever I did anything besides that I felt that kind of inherent sense of guilt that I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing to, to fix it you know to, to finish mm -hmm. the book so uh, you know and now it's like okay now I can you know I've finished this so I can do some reading but then it's like yeah but you got to now promote this and get the word out and and, and make things happen and, and set up readings and it's all so much stuff that modern authors have to do that you know like publishers used to do for you you know yeah oh i'm i'm, a, I'm well aware <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I get the sense i'm speaking to the choir you know oh definitely it's it's insane the things that we we have to do in order to get the book out there to people especially with social media and what have you mm -hmm. so all right last question then we'll wrap it up what are your favorite things to read authors or uh, you know a particular book um you know lately i've been kind of going through old books again mm -hmm. uh, I, haven't, I haven't read anything new in a while i've been uh, uh i i've kind of been prepping for the next book by reading some uh some uh 
uh, like House of Leaves by Dan Yulewski, I really love. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I really love Mark, uh, Mark Laner's, you know, like all the Mark Laner stuff, like Etu Babe was fantastic. Mm -hmm. My cousin, my gastroenterologist, you know, very funny stuff. And what's amazing about that guy is he did it before the internet, really. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he just had to know that shit off the top of his head, I guess. But, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, reading, reading, reading those. All right, yeah, it's you know that's something I like to try and get in there is because people don't realize that authors read a lot. Yeah, especially people you know they're just starting out; they have no name or anything like they don't know where to begin. You want to tell a good story, you need to you know, devour everything that comes before you. Yeah, you know that's that's actually when I was in when I was take I was taking my first creative writing class, uh, my first poetry class when I was an undergraduate, and I had this wonderful wonderful professor named Scott Cairns, and you know he's like, you know I was showing him some poetry that I'd written, and you know and he's like, okay, yeah, this is good. I said, well, tell me who who do you read? And I said, well, I don't really read uh, any any anyone. I, I just I like to write. It's like, you know. If you're not reading, you're always going to be a pretty good poet, mm -hmm. but that's all you're ever going to be. He said, you know, until you've made rigorous reading part of your daily life, you know, you're not going to be a great author. You're not going to be a good author. You're just going to be a pretty good author, mm -hmm. you know, and that was hard to hear, but really some of the best advice I ever received. Well, it's, you know, he, he's correct in that. How can you grow unless... You know, you're ingesting and people, a lot of people subconsciously attempt to, you know, mimic what they've uh, read in right. their own way. If you're not putting anything new in, you're not going to put anything new out. Yeah. So, all right. We are here with Mark Miller. His new novel is The Two-Headed Lady at the End of the World, a romance hotter than a thousand suns. That's coming out in December, and his other book is called The Librarian at the End of the World. Mark, is there anything else you would like to plug? Social media, Facebook, or anything like that? Um, you can, uh, okay, so you can find my homepage at authormarkmiller.com and uh, and I'm on Facebook under Mark Miller, and also uh, well, I'm, I think I'm leaving Twitter, uh, but uh, uh, but yeah, you, 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 can, you can find me. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you for coming on, Mark. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for having me, Ian. I really appreciate it. It was great talking with you. Yeah, it was good talking with you as well. I'd like to remind everyone that the DeathCast is a production of Corpse Creek Publishing. Until next time, stay morbid. <laughs>